So as I mentioned, we've been going through a vision series um, through uh, what I'm casting as the vision for our church. What I'm saying is what we need to be doing, what our goal needs to be, and how we accomplish that goal. Um, our vision, if you can remember, does, does anybody know what our vision is? Would anybody want to put themselves on the spot and, and say that little simple line that we've um, mentioned each week? I think I heard it out there. Becoming more like Jesus together. Right? That's our goal. That's our vision, that we become more like Jesus together. I said that's what really the whole Bible pushes towards, that we were created in God's image. Christ is recreating us into that image and that we do that in a community of people together. So becoming more like Jesus together. And we said that we do that through three core values that we're going to have as a church. That first core value is the word. Uh, we're going to allow the word to shape us. We become more like Jesus together through his word. Remember, that's the tool. His word is the tool through which God shapes us into his image, uh, specifically to the image of his son. Second, we saw that we become more like Jesus together through his community, in his community. And when we say in his community, we're not just talking about we're not talking about like our town or our area. We're saying the people of God. When God saves us, he saves us into a group of people, into the church, and therefore we are to treat one another in certain ways. And one of those ways is to help one another grow. Uh, we love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, teach one another. Uh, we help each other become more like Jesus together. And then today we're going to see that we become like Jesus through his word, in his community, and finally for his mission. For his mission. If we sat down and said, what is, what is God doing in the world? If we sat down and, and examined, what is it that God is doing in the world? I would say that he is in the process of creating a people, redeeming a people that reflect his image for his glory. He's in the process of redeeming a people that reflect his image for his glory. That's what God is in the process of doing. Therefore, that should be our mission as well. So our, in our sermon today, we're going to look at three sets of twos. We're going to say uh, two uh, missions, two tasks, and two places. So we're going to look at two missions, two tasks, and then two places. So let's start off with those two missions. First, the mission of God. As you read through Scripture, you see time and time again what God's mission is, and that is His glory throughout the whole earth. Remember, when He created us, as we've looked at each each, each week we've looked at that Genesis passage that when he created us, he created us in his image. He made us to look like him, reflect his image. And then right after he says, let, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them. Then he says, let them fill the earth and subdue it. Multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So right from the very start, God says to us, be like me and go take my image, my likeness and spread it throughout the whole earth. As we reflect who God is in the whole earth, we're reflecting his image. That's what God is doing, filling the earth with the people that reflect his image. But as we've mentioned, we mess that up pretty quickly. We mess that up within the first few chapters of the Bible, actually. And then after Genesis 3, after we sinned and rebelled against God, the rest of the Bible is that process of us being remade into the image of Christ. Throughout the whole Old Testament, whether it's the law and the prophets, uh, whether it's the kings that were set in, in place to show us, give us guidance, um, whether it's the prophets who, who preached uh, to us, it was God recreating his people. 
promising a Messiah that would come to make things right. And we know that Messiah was Jesus. And when Jesus steps onto the scene, he's that perfect image of God, that perfect imprint of God's nature, the one who upholds the universe by the power of his word, as Hebrews says. And then at the end of Jesus' life, after he died a sacrificial death, rose from the grave, he created a people through that process, a people who would reflect his image. And as we read through the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and the other writers in the New Testament start to speak of the fact that we're being recreated into the image of God. Whether that's in the Colossians, um, whether it's in 1 Corinthians, we're being remade into God's image, recreated into the image of Christ. And then Romans 8 comes to say, those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The mountain peak of the New Testament, Romans 8, talks about how we were created, actually being recreated, formed into the image of the Son of God. So that is God's mission, that he would create a people that would reflect his, glo- reflect his image for his glory. That's what God is all about. And we might say, man, this is just all about God. Would, would that not be a selfish goal? Is that a selfish goal of God, that he would just create people just to get glory and to get praise and honor? Is that selfish? Well, I think it'd be easy to think that, and it might be easy for us to think that. But I would argue a few points against that. One of those is this. I mean, what an honor that the ultimate being in all of the universe would create you in his image. That's an honor. What, what, how else would you have God create us? What other purpose could we be created for that would be a higher calling, that would be more noble, that would be more, um, more honorable to us than to be created in his image? It's an honor that we were created in his image to reflect his glory. Second, what an honor that we would be created in such a way that we could bless the creator of the universe. Have you ever thought about that? You, the actions that you take... You, you small creature on a speck of dust in the universe, an action that you can take can bless the almighty creator. You can impact him. That's an amazing gift that you would be able to praise, worship, obey him in such a way that he would be blessed by you. There's probably a lot of people in this world that could care less about what you think and what you feel. If you gave them a compliment, it would mean nothing to them. If you um, did something in their honor, it would mean nothing to them. But the Lord of the universe has linked himself to you in such a way that your actions bless him and your actions reflect him. And then another thing is if you think about our situation, our sinful situation that we've put ourselves into. He's the answer to our problem. And by no means is it selfish for him to point to himself in that situation. Imagine that you were drowning And someone was trying to help you and they were calling your attention to them. And they said, hey, look at me. I can help you. Look at me. Well, we say, man, that guy was so selfish trying to get me to look at him while he was saving me. By no means, right? It's actually the best thing for you is to look to the one that's saving you to give them your attention that they might save you from your situation. And in the same way, God calls us to look at him, to obey him, not just because he wants glory, but also because it's our good. It's for his glory, but it's also for our good. 
There's no better thing that you could live for than for God's glory in the world. There's no better um, situation for your life than to be obedient to his word that you might follow him. You might think, man, is it I don't get to do anything that I want to do? Well, I think you do get to do what you were made to do and what you want to do when we follow what the Lord would have us do. It's the best thing for us. In some sense, it's completely selfless for us to follow God. But in another sense, if you really think about it, it's completely selfish, meaning it's in our best interest. The best thing you can do for yourself is to lay yourself down and worship the Lord. And when you do so, you're blessed. You find that meaning and fulfillment in your life. So we said that there's two tasks that were, or, or uh, sorry, two missions that we're talking about, but really those two missions are one mission. God's mission to fill the earth with his glory should be our mission. That is the same mission that we have as a church. Our mission is his mission. We do the same thing God is doing. We're striving for the same thing God is striving for, that the earth would be filled with his glory within us. As we think of missions and what we need to be doing as far as reaching the world around us, God's glory must be our fuel for missions, must be our fuel for missions. Because as we think of of mission trips in the traditional sense of uh, going out of your context into another context to reach people for the Lord, there's a lot of things that would keep us from doing that. Um, A lot of things that might propel us to do that. Some people love to do missions for more reasons than just God's glory. Some of those might be, I love to travel. Man, I just love to get on a plane, travel to a new place, try new foods. But if that's our, our motivation for missions, that's probably going to get old at some time, wouldn't it? Or maybe it's your love for another culture, a certain people group. But as, as I can attest to, sometimes uh, the people group that you're called to kind of starts to bug you a little bit and be annoying Right. Sometimes the people that we're supposed to reach are really hard to love. And if our love for them is our ultimate motivation to reach them, that will fail at some point. That will fail at some point. So love for other people is not a sufficient motivation for missions. What is a sufficient motivation for missions is that God would be glorified in every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every nation in this world. That should be our motivation because love for people is a really good thing. But our love for people starts to run thin and we get to our our love tank gets empty and it's hard to get that refilled. But if our goal is God's glory, man, that that's a motivation that can never get old. And that is a motivation that never ends until the Lord returns. So as we think about our mission, which is to help God aid him or work alongside him as he reaches the world for his glory, that is our mission, that we would bring glory to the Lord. But how, how do we do that? How is it that you um, sitting here in this town uh, can do that? What is it that God actually is wanting us to do? How is it that we glorify God? Well, I say there are two tasks that I would say God calls us to do in general. Um, A lot of things would fall under these categories, but in general, there's two things that he calls us to do. And surprisingly enough, you you may be surprised by this, but people debate about this subject, what it is that the church is called to do. Can you believe that? That people would debate about something? But they do. 
something that should be so obvious as what the, the mission of the church is. Some people are on this side where they would say, our goal, the only reason why the church exists is to share the gospel. That is it. Okay? Don't get tied up in other things of this world, whether it be social movements, um, injustices, um, feeding the poor. That's, that, that is not the thing that we're called to do. We're, we are called to pre- preach the gospel and get this message to a dying world. That is our goal. That's what the church exists for. Okay? Another group of people would say, share the gospel, that's fine. But really what we're trying to do is bring society into obedience to the Lord. So we make our main thing that we're to do is to feed the hungry and the poor, right? We quote verses like, um, true religion is this, that you would take care of orphans and widows in their distress. So the main thing is to show mercy in the world, to, to fix the injustices of the world. We call this the social gospel. Now, I think, as with most things, the best place is to be right here, in the middle of those two things, right? So it's not just that we share the gospel and teach people the truth, but never mind their physical setting, but it's also that we don't just try to meet their physical needs and never share truth with them. So the two tasks I would say that we're called to do is to speak truth and show mercy. And we need to do those two things in proper proportion. And I think the person that shows us best how to do that is the Lord Jesus. He was the perfect balance of speaking truth to a world that needs to hear truth, yet showing mercy to a world that needs to experience God's love and compassion. And as we look to Jesus, think about what he did. First, he spoke truth. I want to say for, in one sense, primarily, Christ came speaking truth. What are the first words out of his mouth in the book of Mark? The first thing we hear Jesus say at all is this. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. The first thing he says is that we would repent and believe because God's judgment is coming. It's here. It's at hand. That's the very first thing out of Jesus's mouth. Jesus truly cares about us understanding what God's word says to us and for our lives. And he would do that a lot. He would call um, all people to repent and believe, whether that's the Pharisees, the religious group of the day that were not following the religion rightly, or whether that was the Gentiles who were not part of the religion at all. He was speaking to them, speaking truth, saying, calling them to repent and believe. Yet, I think if we kind of dig in and look at a specific instance of how Jesus interacted with people, I think we get the true heart of what Jesus is doing. So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to read this section of Mark that shows, I think, Jesus doing these two things. Speaking truth and showing mercy. In the book of Mark chapter 2, we find the, the instance of Jesus healing the paralytic. This is going to be a very familiar story with you. I just want to read it so that you'll hear it, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. It says this, Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And and many were gathered together so that there was no room, no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, 
He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He's, a bl- he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit what, uh, what they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know... That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went before them all, went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So notice what Jesus does in this story. A paralytic man is brought to him, laid before him as he's preaching God's word. And what does he say to the man? The first thing he says to him is, son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus is able to look into this man's life and see his real problem is that he has a sin problem. Even deeper than his physical need that he has is a spiritual need. As horrible as it is to be paralyzed, worse to be caught up in sin and be punished for that sin, that rebellion against God. Notice Jesus doesn't necessarily link, Jesus is not linking the paralysis to the sin. He's not saying this dude's paralyzed because he's a sinner. Or we don't get, it could be, it could not be. We don't know that. Jesus isn't saying paralyzed people are sinful people. But what he's saying is, or he's not saying paralyzed people are paralyzed because of their sin. But he is saying everybody, deeper than the physical need of healing from paralysis is the need to be forgiven of sins. That's what he does first in his life, forgives his sins. But yet something else is going on, right? He's teaching the religious people of that day who he is. He's not just some prophet who came speaking uh, what God told him to speak. He's actually God himself in the flesh. And he says to the man, uh, after they questioned him, "Who who can say that sins are forgiven? Jesus says to the guy, which is easier? To say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. I'll give you a hint. None of you get to say those two things, right? None of us can forgive sins against an almighty God. And neither of, none of us can say, hey, get up and walk to the paralytic just because we want to say that. But Jesus has the prerogative to do both because he is God. So he says, not only do I say your sins are forgiven, I also say, get up and walk. And when the man got up and walked, that proved not only that Jesus can say, hey, get up and walk. But it also proves that he can say your sins are forgiven. So this story teaches us that there is a deeper need within us to be forgiven by sin, which is what Jesus speaks to first. But he doesn't leave the guy hanging. Doesn't just say, I've forgiven you of your sins. I'm also going to help your physical need as well. So we need to try to find this balance that Jesus has in this passage and that he displays in the rest of his life. He speaks truth. I would even argue primarily he speaks truth, yet he never lets that truth be unaccompanied by mercy, the mercy of God. So in this story, we see that the mercy that Jesus shows confirms the word of God. It confirmed what he said about sins. But it also, not only does mercy confirm the word of God, mercy shows the goodness of God. And so as we think about what our mission is as the church, 
We need to hold both of these things tightly. Speaking truth and showing mercy. Speaking truth and showing mercy. And it's a dangerous thing to let go of either. To let go of one and hold on to the other. Because if we speak truth without mercy, that's going to cause hard hearts to the people around us. If, is, if all, your only goal is to speak truth and you never show mercy, that's going to harden people's hearts toward the truth. And it's going to come off as judgmental. While judging, there's times when judgment's good. There's a lot of times, most of the time, judgment's going to be bad for you to be doing. And if we come off just speaking truth without mercy, we're going to cause hard hearts in people. But if we do the other thing as well, if we only show mercy and never speak truth, we're going to create a soft head. I just said that because hard heart, soft head. It worked good together. But the point is this. You're going to get somebody who's not thinking truly about rightly about their situation. They're going to only think that their physical need is the need that they need to have met. And they're never going to realize their spiritual needs. So do you see how both things, speaking truth without mercy or showing mercy without truth, are both damning? They are both damning. Because if you only speak truth and never show mercy, that person's heart's going to be hard and they can't hear the truth you're sharing. On the other hand, if you're only showing mercy and you never speak truth, that person's going to think, okay, I'm good to go. My physical needs are met, but they don't know their true spiritual need. So it's dangerous for us to go social gospel and it's dangerous for us to go just preach the gospel, right? We need to hold both of those tightly in our hands. One way to think of it, an example that I've heard used, is to think of a spear or an arrow. Um, the, uh, typically, a spear and arrow is shaped like a triangle. Okay, The tip of that arrow or the tip of that spear is what initially pierces the target. But the, the flanges on the side are what allow, that, to allow that, that point of the arrow to go deeper into the target. And in the same way, I think primarily the tip of the spear for us is the gospel. It's the main, the main thing that we should be sharing. Yet, as we show mercy uh, through whether that's feeding the poor, helping the widow, um, building homes for folks, whatever that might be, that allows that truth of the gospel to sink deeper into the people we're sharing with. So primarily, we speak the gospel, but we should come alongside that behind that or even alongside that to make sure that people feel that mercy as well because we're not just showing mercy to people to get them to believe the gospel that's that's a good thing to do right Uh, we feed people um, we fill their stomachs that we also might fill their hearts as well but i think as well when you show mercy you're actually allowing people to experience god's love through you as you feed a hungry person a meal they get reminded I mean, God does take care of me. He takes care of the sparrows, um, the, the lilies of the field, and he also takes care of his children. And you, as you feed somebody a meal, or you put clothing on their back, or a roof over their head, or whatever that might be, you are reminding them, God loves you. God's doing that through you as you show mercy. And as you speak truth, you are, you're God's mouthpiece, speaking the truth that God wants those people to hear. So as you can see, those two things really sum up what it is that we do or sum up how we accomplish that goal of glorifying God, that we would speak truth into this world. We're the only source of true truth in this world, the church is, and we're the only source of true mercy 
in this world. Mercy that's done for the sake of helping people understand truth and to experience God's love. Speak truth and show mercy. So we've seen those two missions that are one mission. We've seen these two tasks that allow us to uh, accomplish that mission. Now we need to think about the two places that we do this. What are the two places that we do this mission where we speak truth and show mercy? Well, the first place we do that's at home. And what I mean by home is this area, commerce, the Miami area, Ottawa County, this area, the four state area. This is the place where God has placed you. You were not born to the family you were born to for no reason. God orchestrated history in, that, in such a way that you might end up here. Maybe some of you are not happy about that. Maybe you're like, man, I want to get out of this place. But you are here for a reason. God put you here, whether that's for a short time or your entire life. God put you in commerce for a reason. God put you in your place for a reason. And everything that you do in this place can serve to accomplish God's mission. As we live here at home, we need to, uh, we need to be participating in missional living, seeing your life as a mission. Everything that you do can serve to um, accomplish this mission of glorifying God, whether that's in your job, in your job, as you uh, hang out at break time um, or whenever that is, you're speaking truth to people and you're showing mercy to people, sitting down and listening to a guy talk to you about how his marriage is really struggling or um, offering to give a, a, a coworker a ride to work. Whatever that might be, you're showing God's goodness to that person. And as you do that, you're also speaking truth into their life as well at your job, in your school. Um, if you're a student at school, whether that's in high school, middle school, college, wherever you might be, you're in that place for a reason. God put you there that you might speak truth to your classmates and show them God's goodness through showing them mercy. In your family, don't neglect your family is the primary place God has put you for ministry. Right? My, my primary place of ministry as a pastor is actually my home first, then my church. God put you in your family, and you accomplish God's mission through seeing your role in your family as a mission. Um, uh, I have a book that I actually gave out during Mother's uh, Day. It's called Missional Motherhood. And it's just the concept of saying, hey, look at motherhood as a mission trip to your family. And I think that's a good attitude to have in anything that we do. You're on a mission trip to your family at every moment. And if you're like me, maybe this is particular to a pastor, um, but I don't think it is. There's times when I, I turn my, um, my spiritual life on really high when I'm at work, when I'm doing this kind of thing. But when I get home, it's like, okay, now I can turn things off and just relax. I actually need to be turning things up even higher when I'm at home as far as being a Christian leader and a discipler. That's the place where I need to be making disciples the most is in my home. And we need to have that same kind of attitude. Wherever you are, you are on a mission trip. You are living missionally, speaking truth in your context and showing mercy in your context. So we do that here at home in commerce. And we got lots of ways that we do that as a church already. And tons of opportunities for us to do that in other ways as well. But we're speaking truth and showing mercy at home. But we also need to do that away as well. So we've got a home game here as we speak truth and show mercy. We also have an away game that we play as well. We go to the ends of the earth. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, go make disciples of all nations. 
He says in Acts 1.8 that you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That is part of your mission. That is part of your mission. And you might think, man, well, how? there's no way that I can take time off work to go on a mission trip. There's no way that I can physically make that trip to another country. Um, as we had those missionaries that were here last, last week or the week before. Like, there's no way I can take up my life and move to Thailand. It's impossible for me. But the beauty is that the church is a team. The church is a team. And each member of a team always has a role to play. Now, sometimes our role might be praying for overseas missions. So that's what we do on Wednesday mornings in our adult prayer, prayer meeting. We sit down, we pray, and we have a people group every week that we pray for. Um, I get it from the web, a website of, of people groups that are unreached. We pray for a people group. Sometimes your, your role in reaching the nations would be simply to pray for them. Maybe your role is to do what we've done um, in Southern Baptist life for a long time, and that's give of our resources to offerings like Lottie Moon, um, Annie Armstrong, and um, the late Edna McMillan. Um, those are international missions. Uh, North American missions and state missions. You can give that way too. And so as you give, every dollar that you give during those offerings goes to support missions throughout the world. So we should pray and we should give. But I want to challenge this church to do, uh, to go as well. That we as a church would be intentional over the coming years to say, we're going to be intentional about helping this people group come to know the Lord Jesus. As we mentioned before, there are unreached people groups in this world. What I mean by unreached is it's a group of people who less than 2% of that people know about Jesus. Less than 2% of those people know about Jesus. How amazing would it be for us as a church to say, you know what, we're going to pray about it. We're going to find a people group within this world that we're going to adopt to say, hey, we're going to take this name off of the unreached people group list. That would be an amazing thing for our church to do, a goal for our church to say, hey, let's intentionally, let's live missionally at home, but let's also be intentional about reaching the ends of the earth as well. That we might take the, the, the truth that we've received here and spread that throughout the whole world that God may be honored and glorified. So as we as a church, as we set out in whatever we do, whether that's Sunday morning, Sunday night in a community group, on Wednesday nights as we serve students back here, um, whether we're at work, we need to remember, let's have this vision in front of us at all times to say, what are we doing as a church? What's the purpose of us existing here in Commerce America? It's that we would become more like Jesus together and that we would do that by submitting ourselves to his word that we might be transformed into his son, that we would do that within a community of people who are involved in one another's lives, helping each other become more like Jesus, and that we would realize we're doing all of this for the sake of participating in God's mission with him. His mission of bringing himself glory in all of the earth through people who look like his son, Jesus. That is the vision that we need to have in our hearts, the thing that guides us um, as we make decisions as a church, um, with our finances, with our time, with our resources, that we would be, every decision that we make would lead to us becoming more like Jesus in a group together, through his word, in his community, and for his mission. Let me pray for us. 
Father, we come before you. We thank you for everything you've done for us. God, we thank you that you allow us to partner with you in your mission, your mission to reach the world. And God, we ask that you would aid us in that, that you would give us the strength to um, lay down our lives for the sake of bringing you glory to the ends of the earth. God, we pray that you would help us to be wise in how we live our lives, that we would live missionally, that we would live on mission, realizing that every moment of our life is a mission trip to the people we're around. But God, we also pray that you would help us to be wise in how that we reach the ends of the earth as well. God, give us vision and, and, and guidance in how we might participate even more in reaching people around this world for Christ. We love you and we praise you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.